All right, Kevin, so I know this episode is mostly about movies and TV, but we're recording it at the end of November 2020, and I think we can't go without mentioning what a historic month this was. Oh, historic and incredible. I mean, record turnout at the polls and at a time when we're so divided as a nation. No, no, I'm not talking about the election. Uh I'm talking about, of course, the new ACDC album. I forgot about this. (laughs) How can you forget? Well, I had this is what I have you to remind me. I'm sure you were probably awake at 11:59 when they released it at 12 o'clock midnight on whatever day, right? No. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad you're not still in high school. No, I didn't. But there are reasons this is momentous, you know. Beyond just Jeff World. Well, as you may know about me, I have not really been into an ACBC album since For Those About the Rock, and that was in the early 80s, and it was. Mm-hmm. And like before I went to college. Right. And since then, I think all of their albums have been kind of similar. Well, I wouldn't necessarily... Yeah, that's probably true, but it's not like you divorced yourself from ACDC. It was always there in the background, and it was always the occasional, you know, just blow out your car stereo speakers, right? Right, but I would rather listen to any one of their old albums, any Bon Scott record, uh, Back in Black or For Those About to Rock, than any of their more recent albums. I listen to each one and I maybe listen to it again and then I'm just kind of done. Anyway, this is Power Up, their 17th studio album, and this is their lead single, Shot in the Dark. Kevin, for those about to rock with their eighth album, so that means the nine last records have all been similar to me and this one kind of is the same i think it's actually kind of fun it may be one of the better of the latter albums that i've heard however because i'm not really into them that much i don't feel i'm an authority on which latter acdc albums are the best you know i think it's probably safe to say that the sound really hasn't deviated from its core too much over the last 30 years And that's been my problem. I wish they would kind of try some different things like they did in their earlier work with Bon Scott and so forth. They did uh, like a a song like Down Payment Blues on Powerage. It's just like it has different sections that do different tempos and it just is really uh, a dynamic song. (laughs) Listen to Brian Johnson's voice at the beginning of this song, Demon Fire. Crazy with a zeeful lips. Great guns are blazing. My deadly trip kind of cool and he actually shows a little bit of range in his his scratched up voice but then the rest of the song is just his normal screeching so it's like try to stick with something fun you know plus it's just it's the it's the angus young hook and the super simplistic phil rudd drumming that just sort of drives the whole thing right yeah yeah but anyway getting back to why this is momentous though yes they kind of unceremoniously booted brian johnson from the band and then they were practicing and even did a few shows with Axl Rose as a lead singer. I remember. I remember. I, I wasn't quite sure that was going to work. They were talking about recording albums with him and everything, and I just said, no, 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 no. Just shut the band down if Brian Johnson's gone. Come on, guys. 
And they were dead to me. I was just like, I'm not going to listen or buy to any Axl Rose ACDC song. I, I think it, it's safe to call this a successful reboot. I think the, their fans will love this. It's their core sound, as I mentioned. Um, they even, I think, have done a, a good job of replacing a really underrated member of the band, which was Malcolm Young. I thought he never got enough credit for his contributions. I agree, and I think this song uh, playing now through the mists of time is a little bit about him. How far this band has come and gone, and how crucial Malcolm was to the band. But really, this band is about live shows, and it doesn't matter what albums they release when they can still go on on tour and play their classic hits. This is the money question then for you, Jeff. Would you go see them live now? Uh, actually, that's a good question. I'm not sure. Probably. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. I would probably only do it if I if they had general admission on the floor and I could go into the mosh pit. I can't see myself sitting up in the rafters in a chair watching this band. You gotta be you, you gotta be in the crush. Yeah. Pumping your fists, yelling, right. you know, and getting kicked in the head with a, a, right. a body pass a teenager. Okay, and so you're self-employed, you have a medical plan, so you're gonna go do something like that, and it's probably best that you are self-employed. You you could you could tap into your PTO and have a proper recovery period. The great thing about mosh pits is when the crush starts, when everybody starts crushing towards the stage, mm -hmm. your weight comes off your feet. So you no longer are standing and your back pain goes away immediately. I see. It's an anti-gravity experience is what you're saying. Yeah. Anyway, ACDC is back. And from Portland, Oregon, I'm Jeff Payne. I'm Kevin Toon, and you're listening to the new episode of The Pit. Today on The Pick, we take a break from The Pick 100 Countdown to cover some movies and TV for our faithful listeners. We have guests from the Pilot Podcast, BJ and Mitu here, to help fill us in on all the TV shows we've been missing. And Kevin will be challenged once again to crack that track, this time with TV theme songs. The pressure's on, Jeff. So I have to say, I have still been able to watch movies and TV, even though I am pretty focused on our Pick 100 countdown. Well, Jeff, we're headed into the indoor months in the great Northwest, so I would imagine viewership tends to, to uh, escalate. Plus, you know, you, I'm sure you, you, you took a break from all the time you were glued to the political drama unfolding on TV and you know, dabbled in some streaming here and there. Yes, absolutely. And as we've talked about before, I watch a little bit too much TV. And this weekend actually afforded with a uh, we're recording on Sunday of Thanksgiving weekend. And two things happened. Actually, three things happened. First of all, it was Xfinity Cable had free TV weekend. So I gave you access to all the channels. Second of all, I found out that a previous Airbnb guest logged into a Hulu account and didn't log out. So now I have Hulu. <laughs> and third, I had some time off uh, for the holiday to uh, watch uh, a lot of movies, which with the new Hulu channel available and free Cinemax, everything, I got to watch some stuff. So I caught up on I caught up on some viewing. Yeah, for some reason, the holiday weekend does open up more of those opportunities. One of the shows we're going to talk about later, The Queen's Gambit, which uh, I couldn't 
it was almost one of those, I'm just going to go all the way through all seven of these, but I had a little discipline and stopped at four. Yeah, there are some definite bingeable shows we're going to talk about later. But first, we'll get to some movies, but not before reminding you that all of the movies and TV shows we talk about today will be available on our website, so you don't need to take notes or anything. Our website, thepickcast.com slash episodes and under episode 19 which you're now listening to you will see all of the shows listed so should we start with the biggest news that's come out in the last 30 days or maybe i don't know maybe 14 days what, what would that be kevin well that was the alert that i got on my phone from the uh, the purple logo hbo max that I, as a subscriber, will have the privilege of streaming Wonder Woman 1984 on Christmas Day. That's right. Warner Brothers is going to release it in theaters and on HBO Max on Christmas Day, finally throwing in the towel. And then shortly after they announced that, they announced that all of their movies from 2021 will be released in theaters on HBO Max at the same time, Mm -hmm. throwing the theater industry into a tizzy, Warner Brothers seriously putting the fear of God into theater owners. But yes, Wonder Woman, Christmas Day. So safe to say, I'm jazzed. Nothing could be a better Christmas gift than Gal Gadot in her next installment of Wonder Woman. Yes, I'm excited to see it too. The first one was great. And also because we're not seeing family, just going to be my wife and I sitting in our Portland home by ourselves. So it's nice to see... A good new movie on that day. Jeff, let me tell you about another movie I just recently saw that I'm really excited about, The Trial of the Chicago 7. This is a history legal drama written and directed by Aaron Sorkin. This is on Netflix. It's focused on a group of anti-Vietnam protesters who are charged with conspiracy and crossing state lines with the intention of inciting riots at the 1968 Democratic National Convention in Chicago. Very well done. Uh, Just one of those things that I sort of stumbled upon because, you know, Netflix, the app loves to just throw promo after promo at you when you open it up. And the premise of it just really hooked me. And I came away, have not been a huge Sacha Baron Cohen fan. He's one of the many stars in the film. I think he he steals this movie and uh, came, I personally came away with a much uh, higher appreciation for him. Yeah, he's a good actor when he gets away from the the Borat stuff, which I mean, Borat, Ali G, all his characters are amazing, but now he's starting to actually show up in movies um, as a regular actor. He was also in the Netflix original uh, Spy earlier this year or 2019, I think, which I didn't see, but I got good reviews, a dramatic movie. Here he gets to play Abby Hoffman, so he's a little bit of a comedic character as well. Uh, but yes, excellent performance, but also an all-star cast with uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, um, Eddie Redmayne, Frank Langella. Um, a story I didn't really know much about, but basically the Nixon administration comes in and they want to bust some people that the Johnson administration were going to kind of let slide. So they conjured up this idea that all these disparate, mostly disparate, protesters had worked together in a conspiracy to incite violence. And uh, it's uh, kind of a a shocking chapter of our history, but excellent dramatization. Yeah, that's a good word, shocking. Shocking in the sense that of the the government's insistence on uh, basically prosecuting these individuals uh, by whatever means they can find. I will say a couple of other performances to watch for. What I would call a cameo appearance by Michael Keaton and um, Frank Langella pulls off playing the courtroom judge, who's basically a buffoon, uh, but he does it incredibly well. And then finally, really impressed by Mark Rylance. Uh, I don't know if you've yes. seen much of his work before, but he stands out again. And I'm every time I see him, very impressed by how understated he is, but what a presence he is on screen. 
So that's Trial of the Chicago 7 on Netflix. Check it out. Our next film is on Apple TV+, Plus, which I know is not widely distributed yet, but you can also rent this movie. It's called On the Rocks, and it's the reteaming of writer-director Sofia Coppola with actor Bill Murray. Their first collaboration was Lost in Translation from uh, several years ago, one of my favorite movies of all time. This is kind of uh, Lost in Translation light with a softer edge as Murray plays father to Rashido Jones, whose marriage may be going through a rough patch. Still, it's great to watch him command the screen with his low-key style and humor. And this one works even if you don't get the emotional heft that you might expect from Ms. Coppola. This one started slow for me, but I really it really picked up, not surprisingly, once Murray uh, takes over and becomes a regular presence on the screen, the movie goes to a different level. I, it made me it made me think about some of his other performances, and I don't I don't really I think critics would say oh we've seen this character before, but I don't remember seeing a Bill Murray character where he's reciting these observations. Have you seen? Did you notice that about? Uh, yes. He has all all of he just has he's he's this he's this fountain of facts about all these odd little quirky things about life. I don't remember seeing a character by Bill Murray do that before. Yes, I think the the style that he plays it in and the tone and demeanor may be familiar, but I think it was an original character and mm-hmm. he takes it. He, he's definitely the only person you can really uh, place in a movie like this. And it's great to see him again in a Sofia Coppola movie, even if it, I, I don't think we can always expect to reach the heights of lost in translation, but definitely worth a watch. I, I, my wife and I like watching this together. I think it's a great uh, couples movie too. Yeah, I, I would I would say that he found he found a fresh way to be Bill Murray. It's kind of the way I came away looking at this. Is that at first I thought I was seeing him do much of the same thing again, but as the movie goes on, it really it was something I hadn't seen from him before. Okay, as you know, Kevin, I kind of get into horror movies. It's been a little bit more lately that I've been doing that, much to my wife's chagrin. <laughs> but. <laughs> Yeah, I, you're kind of on an island there, Jeff. I, I, am. I actually don't know that many horror film fans, and I, I think you should join a club maybe uh, or something. Yeah, or maybe I'm already in one. I don't know. But uh, I'm just going <laughs> to rifle through a few that I've seen lately. The first one's called Possessor, and this is by the son of David Cronenberg. Hmm. And uh, it's available for rent now. And it's reminiscent of the Elder's style and creepiness, uh, kind of a sci-fi psychological horror about a covert company that takes over the mind of an innocent to gain access to important people for assassination, of course. But uh, some pretty gruesome violence in it, but it is a kind of a creepy and interesting little take and kind of reminded me of the weird movies that his father made, like Videodrome and things like that. So uh, worth checking out. Um, Then Sputnik is a recent Russian release, basically their take on Alien about a capsule returned to Earth with an unexpected stowaway. It kind of had an unconventional narrative. You kind of, you you realize they don't hide the mystery of the alien or anything too long. Um, And the way that a, uh, the way it's revealed is unique. It didn't pay off as as well as any of the alien movies, but it's still a fun one to watch. And I always, I, I just enjoy seeing different countries put a lot of money and quality into a science fiction horror movie like this because it's as good as any American movie as far as all the acting and technical aspects. So uh, worth the watch. 
Then uh, the next one I have, and that one's on Hulu, and also on Hulu is The Lodge, which is another psychological horror with a, kind of a religious cult undertones. It stars Riley Kehoe, who is showing up in a lot of places now, and I think she's really good. She's uh, the daughter of Elvis Presley, but also a great actress. Again, not a conventional haunted house story by any means, but that unpredictability works in this. You really don't know where it's going. It's, it's pretty creepy and uh, has a very unsettling uh, mood about it you almost feel like you're trapped in that house with them worth the watch that's the lodge on hulu on amazon prime there's one called terrified this is from a few years ago and it's brazilian actually but um definitely effective and unconventional again uh, about a uh, neighborhood basically that's kind of haunted by this entity and the way the different uh, people are dispatched is quite <laughs> entertaining and horrific. Well, so for any horror fan, Terrified is one to look for on Amazon Prime. And finally, this weekend I saw Underwater on HBO, also on HBO Max. This is with Kristen Stewart in a deep sea drilling base. And monsters are released from the underworld. <laughs> <laughs> or some shit like that. But in any case, uh, this is basically only for action and horror fans, not for anyone else to watch. But one of the reasons I liked it is it didn't waste like a half hour of that exposition where you get to know the characters. Oh, there's the funny one. There's the serious one. There's the scared one. There's the one suffering from uh, underwater pressure syndrome. None of that. It just get, it just like it literally in the first five minutes, boom. Everything goes, everything goes to hell. Okay. Um, and uh, it's kind of cool. I, I mean, I think Kristen Stewart's one of our best actors. To see her uh, just take on a regular uh, action horror movie role was kind of cool. So that's only good for action horror fans, I'm telling you. It's underwater on mm. HBO and HBO Max. This, this, this needs to become a regular feature, I think, on the, the PIC website. You know, some, some, some sort of box that people can click on that's Jeff's latest horror picks uh, you know like in the you know in the, in the in the old video stores where you had like the clerks had their little section where they <laughs> you know you could hey watch one of gene's picks employee you know? favorites yeah right right <laughs> i think we need that we need to we need to come up with you know jeff's latest five movies just for horror film fans plus i you know we're into lists and we're into top fives on this show that's so true I, I, i'm definitely expecting an, an all-time jeff payne horror film top five all right i'll remember that all right. Have you seen 1917, the World War One movie yet? Uh, still in that queue of maybe for me. Well, I, here's I the deal. Know. That's that's okay. kind of how it was for me too. It was in okay. the maybe queue, and after okay. watching two lesser movies before it the other night, oh, I was still okay. ready for another one. And uh, when the the previous movie ended, this one popped up in the middle of it um, on right. Showtime. So I started it over. And I got to tell you, it's one of the best war movies I've seen in a long time. I think probably the mm. best movie I've seen since Saving Private Ryan. And it actually has some of the same echoes of that. One of the reasons I wasn't attracted to it is the, the one-shot idea that they do. They try to make mm -hmm. the movie appear that it's shot all in one shot. That, to me, often can come off as a gimmick. And mm -hmm. I had read before that it doesn't really come off that way in this movie, but I still didn't trust it. But in the end, I think it not only works effectively, but it's integral to make this movie work as good as it does because it's all about these guys have only a few hours to complete their task and we see mm. them trying to beat the clock to get to this other battalion and the way it is handled is brilliant i am just amazed at the filmmaking here but it just mm. really added to the emotional heft there's only one time jump in the whole movie it's when a character passes out actually so he's unconscious so we actually jump ahead a few hours then but those two have separated by that break are real time 
and you can tell when they make an uh, an edit by having an explosion go off and the screen goes you know dusty for a minute and and that's mm. when they've done a cut but really there's only like five or six of those in each of the halves and it's incredible so i recommend highly uh, 1917 rated as one of the best movies of the year by several critics of 2019 i finally got to see it and highly recommend it and so there's some story there too oh yeah well it's it's it's, it's a story it's based on director sam mendez's uh, grandfather's stories that he brought back from world war one and he was a runner which is basically someone who will communicate messages between battalions on the front and this story did not happen specifically but it's based on the kinds of things that he did tell in his stories okay i have one more to contribute and it is the uh, it is is a docudrama on netflix called the social dilemma it's a film directed by jeff arlowski and written by Orlowski, Davis Coombe, and Vicki Curtis. It explores the rise of social media and the damage it has caused to society, focusing on its exploitation of its users for financial gain, uh, how its design is meant to nurture an addiction, its use in politics, and its effect on mental health. Now, that sounds like a lot. I found it fascinating. What I found that hooked me right away was it starts with interview clip after interview clip of former tech executives that had been in high ranking positions at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all basically telling the same story of these tools that were created for a specific purpose, but then migrated into the world of capitalism and monetization, as they describe it, the manipulation of human behavior, which I couldn't stop watching it. Yeah, I've heard a lot about this movie and uh, I've been told I need to watch it because I do spend a lot of time on Facebook. So I will be getting into it uh, and seeing whether it will affect my habits going forward. That will definitely be a check back moment here on the on the pick. We'll finally get an update on whether Jeff was truly affected by it. (laughs) But I have it's funny. I've talked to uh, quite a few uh, friends who, who are active on social media, including you, who have been reticent to watch it because of the depth that it explores and and the fact that it takes something like social media and uh, juxtaposes it with addiction and behavior manipulation. You know, while a lot of it is focused on the impacts of a Facebook or Twitter, Google is very much a part of that mix as well in terms of things that we interact with that have tracking mechanisms. And of course, we've all talked to each other about, you know, isn't it funny how we were talking about this and suddenly an ad for a a related product showed up on my phone? I I just hadn't considered that, you know, Google really is in kind of that same category with those other tools. All right, that's The Social Dilemma, available on Netflix. Okay, I got three other quick ones to cover. The first one is The Hunt, which, Kevin, you might remember, this was the maligned and controversial action comedy where liberal elites kidnap deplorables so they can hunt them down in the woods for sport. Do you remember that? (laughs) You know, it was not on my uh, top five list, Jeff. (laughs) Well, I almost had to see it out of curiosity because it became available on the free TV weekend on Cinemax. And after watching it, it seems pretty ridiculous that anyone got upset by it um, because the deplorables actually are the kick-ass heroes in this movie and the elites are snivelingly evil caricatures which was pretty entertaining to watch with Hillary Swank playing the lead liberal. Ah, so that's where she went. Okay, got it. Okay. It's pretty funny and 
parts. The action isn't actually that bad. And I and I hope this gets Betty Gilpin more roles because she plays the lead deplorable, if you will. Um, she's uh, basically a Southern rental car desk clerk who has to turn into Rambo to survive this weekend. You can see her on Netflix's Glow, which is a great series. She's the second lead in that. And uh, she just kicks ass in this movie. So it's pretty fun. I can see, I, I, I was kind of kidding. I can see why at the at this political moment, Maybe not the best idea to release a movie like this, but still, it does go against what everybody I think expected, which was liberal Hollywood making some movie to rip on deplorables. It actually was the reverse. They were ripping on themselves, but kind of fun to watch. Another quick two to watch. I finally saw Booksmart. It's not quite Fast Times at Ridgemont High or Clueless, but definitely in the same league. Great Mm. movie, winningly smart, showing great promise from director Olivia Wilde. And also a Japanese movie called Shoplifters, also on Hulu. This is about a band of misfits living together, kind of as a loving family, stuck in a low-wage jobs and poverty. It's one of those independent masterpieces that returns great reward if you invest in it. Again, called Shoplifters on Hulu. Booksmart's also on Hulu, and The Hunt is currently on Cinemax or for rent. So when that subscription that you're, that you're pirating on Hulu uh, finally is taken away from you, it sounds like you're going to have to get an account. I might have to because uh, Hulu has some good stuff. They have some good original series, um, but they definitely have a great movie selection. So um, I don't know whoever Paul is, our Airbnb guest. Thank you for not logging out of your Hulu account. I'm trying to use your third <laughs> account profile because maybe you don't use it and you won't see that someone's watching it. But it's not illegal, by the way. My, I mean, I think you share a Hulu account, right? I do, okay. yeah, and, and I've shared, shared some of my others, so I'm sure I'm sure it'll it'll affect my pricing. <laughs> okay, coming up, we got BJ and Me Too from the Pilot Podcast joining us on the pick right after a quick break. Okay, so we've covered movies, and now we're going to move on to TV. And because we have both been pretty busy with our Pick 100 Countdown, we haven't been watching quite as many series as we normally do, but I don't think we ever watch quite as many series as our guests today. From the pilot podcast, we are welcoming BJ and Me Too as our guests. Hi, guys. Hello. Thank you for having us. Hey, everyone. Thanks for having us. Welcome. For me, this is going to be especially fun because... I thought Jeff watched more TV than anybody I know, but you guys clearly have eclipsed him. So I can't wait to tap into all the stuff that you've seen. And it gives me such a, it's such a great opportunity to filter out stuff. BJ and I are very unabashed lovers of television and we are close friends of over a decade, which I realized yesterday, which was a little (laughs) humbling to, to realize we've known each other for so long. And um, we were G-chatting a few years ago, and we were talking about television, as we always do, and we were wondering what shows we should binge. And BJ was like, I wish there were a podcast where they just watch the pilot episodes of shows and save me time, and (laughs) I don't have to spend 50 minutes watching a show, and now I'm too into it, and I have to finish it till the end. I wish someone just narrowed that for us, and I was like, yeah, maybe we should do that. And I said that sort of jokingly, but BJ <laughs> is such a doer. So he was mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, we should. And then I was like, yeah, okay, BJ. And then maybe a couple weeks later, he sent me like a plan for how to build a podcast. And he was wow. like, there's a mic on the way to your home. And it's just, it wow, happened story very quickly. so familiar. <laughs> the way you described that, me too, the plot points are almost identical oh, with yeah. Jeff and I. This whole thing came out of a conversation and then... 
kind of jokingly, yeah, we should do that. And then sure enough, my partner just runs with it. I pretty, then I've got this microphone all of a sudden now in my house and here we go. Yeah. Shipping equipment to, to his doorstep. Yeah. <laughs> Although we did, we didn't well, jump on it that quite as quick as, uh, as BJ did. It sounds like we, uh, <laughs> we actually yeah, we kicked it around for a while. Yeah. We kicked it around for a couple of years, actually the idea of doing it. But every time we were at a, a party or a barbecue together we'd start arguing about which album is better than this or which movie was better so what's one of your big album arguments like what kicked it off well we were just arguing a little bit before uh before we recorded today because yeah. i chose in my top 100 i don't have any uh albums by the police and it's, mm. that's kevin's favorite band so we've already covered that w- argument once on the show and once <laughs> he starts ranking his albums in the later episodes yeah uh yeah there may be some gauntlets thrown yeah, and he's recruiting people to his side too. I'm getting texts of, well, this is what our friend says. So, you know, neener, neener, neener. He agrees with me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to say, I loved when I read the, the promotional information about your, your podcast, the idea that the central idea is, what should I watch? I, I thought that was brilliant because I just feel like that's something that with so much out there and, you know, and, and just such a limited amount of time to be able to, except for Jeff, who has all kinds of time compared to the average human being to watch all kinds of TV. But for, for those of us with other things going on in our lives, it's, it's kind of daunting. You know, you're like, hey, um, there's, I, I'd like to watch that. I'd like to watch this. But this kind of cuts through it, you know, where I can, I can actually use your filter to get, a, get a, a taste of something before I decide if I'm going to commit a few hours to it. Exactly. And we like to think of it as we're your friends giving you our recommendation. We nice. are willing to sink all that time into these shows for you, but it's also <laughs> fun for us to talk about them. <laughs> Absolutely. Did you guys have any previous experience as uh, critics of any sort? Official critics? <laughs> yeah, yeah. is very critical. I think that helps. <laughs> right. Because the same with us, we, we don't. I mean, I wrote reviews of uh, concerts and a couple of movies when, in my high school newspaper, but that was the 1980s, so <laughs> it's been a while. Yeah. And, I, and I like the idea uh, that, that we share on our show, too, of just uh, talking about what we like without always tripping it up. With uh, Sometimes I read critic reviews, I'm just like, man, that's like a, is, is this a review or a philosophy lesson? It's just like they, they get so deep into it. And when I listen to your show, it, it does remind me of us, too, it's just – Two people, friends, we're, we're, we're longtime friends as well, talking about what they like and what they don't like. Do you guys cover uh, shows you don't like as well on the show, or do you stick to only ones that you recommend? It's the full spectrum. A lot of times, especially with these newer shows, we don't have much time to read up on them beforehand, so we don't even know what we might think of it. So there have definitely been some... I don't want to call them misses, you know, people put a lot of hard work into all these shows, but just some that aren't for us. <laughs> sure. And we also have different interests. So BJ loves like animated stuff. He loves anime. Mm. He loves mm. action stuff. <laughs> you do. And he loves musicals, all the which is one of our debates. I don't love musicals. Yes, I, and I don't like musicals that much. I don't really like scary things. And so... When we do our reviews, I we have our perspective. So sometimes we'll watch a sci-fi that even though sci-fi is not necessarily my thing, it'll be so good that I'm like, okay, if you're like me and you don't really like this genre and you don't like scary stuff, it's still worth it. Or BJ will do that too. With He doesn't really like sitcoms. And so our listeners know that when BJ recommends a sitcom, it means it, it's really funny that even someone mm. who doesn't like laughter or joy gets into it. 
<laughs> Something like that. <laughs> so, BJ, you're a joyless person? That's true. I just like animation and action and music, but no joy and happiness. Yeah, exactly. Well, Kevin just described me as an adult who has no life and watches TV only, so I, I, I'm feeling you. I never feel like our co-hosts word. really treat us the same way. They're already bonding. <laughs> tell us about tell us about your process. I, I mean, there's so much to choose from. You've got all the streaming platforms. You've got a gajillion cable channels. How do you work through constructing an episode and picking what you're going to talk about? Yeah, so that has actually evolved over the years. Uh, originally, we were very ambitious, and we tried to do as many shows as possible within 24 hours of their debut on network TV, on streaming, all the new platforms, dead platforms like Quibi. But that became a little too much, even for us who have a lot of time for TV. So now we really focus on what are four hot new shows. Okay. Um, and we do that every other week. And now we incorporate listener recommendations on those off weeks so we can hit some older shows or maybe some more niche shows. You say older shows, so you've, you've kind of gone back and explored things from past decades too? Yeah, our very, very first episode was actually Mr. Ed, like a black and white sitcom. Uh, but yeah. then we've gone to do like The Nanny, or we've done Awake, which is like the mid 2010s. So, mm-hmm. you know, we'll go to any decade if our fans are interested. So, That's my uh, biggest task now is trying to find, uh, to gain new listeners, to build our audience. And we've been on the air since February. You guys have been on what now for two years? We'll say two years. We took a break. Okay. So uh, do you know how big your audience is and, and how have you grown it? Do you want to go over our, our audience? Me too. You're our uh, analytics person. Uh-huh. I, I, I am not. The data dive. BJ uh, <laughs> and I are both number nerds. I don't know why he's playing playing dits right now. But we've been able to grow our audience by doing going on different podcasts, going meeting people with similar interests like y'all and We've um, done a few episodes with this podcast called Ending Pending. We've done a few episodes with this podcast called The New Chitlin Circuit and just shows that align broadly with talking about culture and you'll find people at those intersections. And BJ is runs our Instagram primarily and has just been so great at messaging people back and commenting and building a really organic community over there and he will message actors on shows that we review and we've gotten some um, listeners through that. So we were able to interview, for example, Diallo Riddle, who created Sherman Showcase and Southside. And we um, interviewed Melissa Bond from this ABC show called Reef Break that we really nice. loved. And so we've just been able to just have fun with it. And that's been uh, how we've grown our audience, just lots of conversation and meeting new people. That's great. Good job. I'm working on that, and I am definitely going to listen to that over and over again to take notes because <laughs> <laughs> we're still in the first year. We, we, we can see our analytics growing a little bit, but we, uh, I, I definitely want more. We, we encourage uh, listener feedback and so forth, and we, we do get some of that, but we want to get more. So uh, great to hear your strategies because – we need to grow ours as well. And, and having you guys on here is part of that too. With listener feedback, our listeners email us and we'll like have whole conversations with them via email. And that's been really great too, building organic community because 
we've done like some paid social ads here and there, but we've just seen the most effective growth from like building, building real connection with people and then they get their friends and other people in their networks to tune in as mm. well. That's great. And it's also difficult this year, but in the past, we've also gone to local podcast communities and joined podcast mm. groups. So we meet the people who are literally our neighbors who are also podcasting. And that's been a great way to learn, exchange tips and information, share audiences as well. Oh, that's interesting. I, I should look into that for Portland. And you guys are in the D.C. area, right? Yes. Yes. Excellent. We're bi-coastal today. Always like that. <laughs> All right, we should get into the meat of our segment now. We want to learn about what you've been watching and share what we've been watching. I think one we've all seen is a teacher on Hulu, which we're going to feature a little bit more at length uh, at the end of this. So for now, let's get into a round robin of a few different series. Why don't you start us off, BJ? Sure. So the first show we're going to talk about is Grand Army. This is a new teen drama that debuted on Netflix, created by Katie Capiello loosely based on her play Slut the Play. And this is a series that follows the lives of students at a large Brooklyn high school. And it's really exploring the burdens and responsibilities and expectations that these kids have, as well as the challenges of finding your own identity and learning your own sexuality. Yes, I actually watched a couple of these uh, yesterday uh, on your recommendation. And I got hooked pretty fast in the first episode. Um, it's it's a, a little bit challenging, definitely um, sexually uh, explicit. But from what I understand from teenagers, that's actually pretty realistic, not only at a inner city school, but pretty much any high school these days. Definitely. It's fast paced. There's a lot of plot lines, a lot of characters, but it feels very real. These are the types of situations and thoughts that you would be having when you're a teenager, going through puberty, thinking you're an adult. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, really well acted, too, by at least the two female leads, the girl that plays Joey and the girl that plays Dom. I, I mean, they were excellent. All right, so I'll jump in here with the limited series. As we're recording this podcast, I'm sure that the nation will be on pins and needles to, as tonight is the final climactic episode of The Undoing, on, and I'm watching it on HBO Max. This is a limited series uh, in the <laughs> – I stole this, but I thought this was a great description – it's another entry in the rich white people suffering genre made famous by Big Little Lies, uh, also a mildly absorbing mystery. Uh, the creator is David E. Kelly, and the stars are Nicole Kidman, as well as Hugh Grant, and uh, their son is played by, I want to say his name is Noah Jupe, uh, and of course Donald Sutherland uh, plays the father in this. It's a, it's a whodunit kind of murder mystery, but also looking at lifestyles of the rich and, and modestly famous in, in New York. I think New York City itself is kind of a character in this story. It seems to me like the limited series is, is emerging as this new thing now. If the promos for this show are any indication, it's, it's something that is, has succeeded, I think, in grabbing a lot of buzz. I wouldn't necessarily give it high praise in terms of, you know, this is an award-winning thing, but it's, it's kept me hooked. My wife and I watch it. We, we binned, I think, the first three or four episodes. Uh, and it was one of those, oh, we got we to gotta go to the next one. We got to see what's going to happen. Here. <laughs> and then we've got caught up. And now we're just sort of looking forward to watching it on Sunday nights. Have you guys seen it? I haven't seen it, but I do plan to start this weekend because, as you said, Kevin, my favorite genre of content specifically is distressed white women in <laughs> books, movies, television shows. It is 
Big Little Lies. I loved yeah. Dead to Me. And so I love BJ's, my pensive or whatever from Harry Potter. That describes a lot. (laughs) (laughs) But I I just love that genre of, uh, that's like Gone Girl, just distressed, well-to-do white women. So I'm excited to watch it. And I think with the mini series or the limited series, one strategy with that is I bet you can get bigger names. So I Mm -hmm. read an interview that Hugh Grant did about the show and he talked about how he stepped away from Hollywood because he was tired of being a rom-com leading man. Right. And he sort of bumbled his way into it, which is funny because that's the sort of person he played as someone who <laughs> right. bumbled, bumbled his way through life. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I don't know that you could have gotten him for a regular show. I don't know that he would mm. have shown up every single day. I think you're right. I mean, they have to also choose whether it's going to be a movie or a, or a series mm-hmm. um, and whether they can stretch it out. And I think this show works because of you have Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant who are both good in pretty much everything they do. Yes. And just watching Nicole uh, and her hair walk down the street in the show <laughs> is part of what makes it work to me. She just, her presence is always there. She's as old as I am, but she looks 20 years younger too. I don't know how she does that. Overall, it does its job in terms of just presenting a compelling story and, and getting the viewer to, to engage and, and want to, I guess you could call it a page turner. So that's The Undoing, available on HBO and HBO Max. Uh, It's uh, been airing every Sunday, concluding in late November, but you can still catch it on demand. And just a reminder again, all these shows we're talking about and the movies we talked about earlier are listed on our website, thepickcast.com. So go there. You don't need to take notes now. And me too, you're up. (laughs) So the next show that we chose was unfortunately recently canceled, but we would still strongly recommend the first season is Teenage Bounty Hunters on Netflix. And this show centers on high school twins, Sterling played by Maddie Phillips and Blair played by Angelica Betty Fellini, who attend a conservative Christian high school in Atlanta. And in the first episode, they literally crash their car into Bowser's, who is a bounty hunter played by Kadeem Hardison. And they pay off their debt to him by helping him with his bounty hunting, AKA they become teenage bounty hunters. And it's a delight. I thought it was pretty funny. I saw the pilot a while ago, too. Um, these girls have a real good rapport. It really plays up the comedy well with their uh, with their interactions. And uh, I, I haven't I didn't stick with it, but uh, I do want to check it out more soon. It's one of those series where you don't really expect that this combination of these well-off teenage girls from a very conservative Christian private school would partner well with a bounty hunter running an ice cream shop. <laughs> but... <laughs> Once you kind of just walk past that premise, don't really think too hard about it, you're going to have a good time. Sounds fun. Okay, cool. That is Teenage Bounty Hunters on Netflix, and the next show is also on Netflix called The Queen's Gambit. Kevin mentioned this in the open of our show. It seems to be the, the nationwide hit right now on streaming, so much so that chess sets have actually sold out for Christmas holidays, which is probably the first time that's happened in, uh, well, I guess ever. Based on a book, this is the fictional story of a chess prodigy, a female chess prodigy in the 1960s. It's another excellent performance by uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, who seems to show up in a lot of places now. She first showed up in the movie, the horror movie, The Witch, which is one of my favorite horror movies. And she's been in uh, The New Mutants. She's been in The Split. Um, Excellent actress, and she's uh, at top of her game here, I would think. And you wouldn't think a 10-episode series about chess 
would be as popular as it is, but it hooks you from the very beginning. And I think it has a lot to do with people just loving to see someone do something expertly. Even if it's something, I mean, I know how to play chess just because I know how the pieces move, but that's pretty much it. <laughs> and to watch someone know how to do those things just from intuition is pretty fun to watch. Uh, and it's also quite funny in places too. Yeah, I feel like chess is one of those games where we all usually know most of the rules and we just wish we could be good at it because she makes it right. look so easy. Like she can map it all out and you're like, why can't I do that? It's also on that show lovely to see a woman not be great like she is great at her craft but she has demons and she's complicated and I think that it's just been cool to see women get to be dynamic complicated characters like say what you will about the 65 shows that Shonda Rhimes has put on television my favorite part about them is that we get to have all of these complicated women anti-heroes so it's just cool to see that and still find value in their humanity without them being perfect or very good or the straight man, which is often what happens with women mm. on shows. And expanding on that too, the relationship with her adoptive mother yes. and, the, and the woman that plays her adoptive mother, who actually is a film director, that relationship is really interesting. And that character of the mother is something I've not seen before. That's uh, another good expansion on the, uh, on the betrayal of women in this show. Absolutely. I think what really what, what hooked me on that too was watching her overcome struggle and just be in a really down and out and kind of a dead end place at a really young age and have some pretty horrible things happen early in her life. Be stuck in an orphanage with not much hope and then discovering something not only that she had a talent for, but really opened her up as just a person. That was yeah. fascinating to watch. All right, that's The Queen's Gambit on Netflix. And our next show is actually not on a streaming service, mm -hmm. which is kind of incredible. It's on Bravo, right, BJ? Yeah, let's go to cable TV for Me Too's new obsession. This is The <laughs> Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. Oh, my goodness. The newest entry in Bravo's reality TV franchise. This time, we're following six women in Salt Lake City, Utah. You know, we're used to this place being associated with the Mormon church. But this cast of women actually represents a range of religious beliefs. So we have Mormon, Islamic, Jewish, and Pentecostal. And cult. The Pentecostal is very interesting. Look into that woman, everyone. Just do a quick Google. An alleged oh cult, I should say. <laughs> wow. Uh, and mixed in there, we got everything you expect. You know, there's the drama between new and old friends, over-the-top parties, group trips, and so much more that you can expect from Bravo TV. <laughs> <laughs> now, have you guys watched uh, like all or some of the previous seasons of the show? Not me. <laughs> this is the first season of the show. So what's really cool if you're a Real Housewives fan, which BJ paints me as some sort of Real Housewives stan. I'm not. I watch. I used to watch Atlanta very closely. I sort of weaned off of it. I just started Potomac, and I think that is the one. But now Salt Lake City, in my opinion, is the one. It's so good. And it's rare as a Real Housewives fan to have a whole new cast. So this is a series premiere, not a season premiere. So this is, we've never met any of these housewives before. And we get to be introduced to all of them at once. And they each have wild backgrounds. One of them converted to Islam because she married a black man after and learned that the LDS church didn't let in black people until 19, 
78, I think she said. Mm. There's another person who called herself a purebred Mormon and she had a divorce. And so you're watching her deal with the fallout that she is perceiving with her community because she's not going along with proper values and being a housewife and keeping the home together. And so it's just, and then uh, as BJ alluded to, one of them allegedly, according to Reddit, runs a little bit of a cult. And she's also (laughs) married to her step-grandfather. So her grandma died and put it in her (laughs) will that someone in her, one of her girls would marry Mm. her husband to take care of him. And the husband is also 20 years younger than the step, younger than the grandma. Yeah, 20 year gaps each generation. Each generation. So, and then BJ and I, BJ, don't actually, I'll stop ranting, but BJ just played (laughs) me at the beginning when he introduced the show, acting like I'm super passionate about it. When he and I, before we sat down to talk through notes to review it, spoke for probably an hour Oh, just talking about this show before you, we even reviewed it. Like I said, if you just look up the background of some of these women, you will go into a deep dive. Yes. Because yeah. they have so much going on. Another one we didn't talk about, she is supposedly Mormon royalty, but she had yes. to leave the church because of an affair with her boss. Wow. There's but she just was so a much. child bride, and she was wow. already married, got a divorce from her husband, and then married her boss, who was 18 years her senior. And it also is mess married. at every turn. <laughs> and they're still married 10 years later. Stuff it you can't just... make up, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and it's all on YouTube. So it's not streaming, but Bravo put the first three episodes, I believe, on YouTube. Interesting. Wow. So it's kind of the opposite of what you expect from uh, Mormon capital of the world, Salt Lake City. Mm-hmm. And there are some things they get into in the third episode. I just couldn't more strongly recommend it. I like the oh I, I like the idea of running a little bit of a cult. Is the way she put it. <laughs> yeah, just, just, a, of a, just a hint. A little bit of a yeah. cult. Just it's kind of like a good taste. side hustle, right? Right. Yeah. Just a, <laughs> a, little just bit a, of da- a dash of cult. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> were these women all friends before the show started recording, or were they brought together for the show? It's a little of both. You see some of the connections. Some were friends. Two of them are cousins. Hmm. The Pentecostal, maybe a dash of cult. She seems a little bit like an outsider, but she knows the other women. So, And they know her because according to one of the women, everyone in Salt Lake City knows that she married her grandpa. And wow. Andy Cohen has talked about when he recruits the Real Housewives shows, he'll mm. do a mix of reviewing DVDs that people submit, auditions, but then he'll talk to people and ask them who should we bring on. So... For anyone who's familiar with Real Houses of Atlanta, I believe Nini brought Kim onto the show because he recruited Nini and Nini was like, you need to meet Kim. And she so she claims she's not a huge fan. I said I watch it. I used to <laughs> love Atlanta, but I got bored by it. And guys, don't be ashamed for loving this. It's... <laughs> I'm not. Wear it proudly. <laughs> I do. I do. It's entertaining. <laughs> So Kevin, these guys have their bickering down really good. We gotta we gotta up our game on that. Yeah, I think maybe we need some coaching. So uh, let's, let's see if we can get maybe an offline conversation, or you know, they can give <laughs> we we can set up a, a chat or something. Bickering one hundred and one. Yes, <laughs> a tutorial. Okay, my next offering or a pick is Lovecraft Country, which is an American horror drama. It's a television series developed by Misha Green, and it's based on and serving as a continuation of a 2016 novel by the same name written by Matt Ruff. 
Uh, it stars Journey Smollett and Jonathan Majors, uh, premiered this year on HBO. The premise is it's a search for a missing father that turns into an otherworldly trip. It follows Korean War veteran Atticus Freeman, his friend Letitia, and his uncle George on a journey across 1950s Jim Crow America. What follows is a struggle to survive against the racist terrors of white America and the terrifying monsters ripped from an H.P. Lovecraft paper book. Uh, I was intrigued and pulled into it immediately by the idea of this cross-country trip to find the missing uncle and all that it explores in terms of what America was like, particularly in the South at that time. But then it adds this kind of outrageous wrinkle of basically horror story elements and monsters and, you know, maybe a little bit more than I would like, uh, it's some elements of gore. But I can get past those. And I just finished watching the Haunted House episode, and it was intense. I'm alone on this one. Uh, my spouse is not particularly interested in it, but I'm finding myself coming back to it again and again. Yes, and we get your uh, your gore warning. Kevin's kind of the uh, the the prudish one when it comes to gore. He's always got to bring up those warnings. Whereas I well, love it. I love it. Yes. Yeah. Maybe that's maybe that's more the warning we should uh, we should offer before your horror picks. Of, okay, just be ready for lots of you know things getting dismembered or something. Yeah, but, I enjoyed this series a lot. It's finished its run on HBO, but it's still available on demand on HBO Max. You guys saw it too, right? We did. Yeah, I'm with you, Kevin. I'm not the biggest fan of the horror genre or all the blood and gore. But with this one, even though there's a lot of blood throughout the entire season, I think it was definitely worth it to stick with the story. And the cool thing is each episode feels like a self-contained storyline, whether it's with Letty and Tick or with Hippolyta or Diana, but then it's all connected. And at the end of each episode, they give you that cliffhanger that's just enough where you're satisfied, but you're ready for the next episode. I loved Lovecraft Country. Kevin, like you, I am very much scared of gore. I don't really like horror. I don't like scary things. I don't like when BJ sneaks them into our queue. So then I have to watch a scary show for our reviews. Um, it is a form of bullying, but it's fine. Uh, <laughs> wow. You see the schedule ahead of time. <laughs> you know I don't pay attention to that. So for... Lovecraft Country specifically, I think the really cool thing about the show is it's very in, it's telling a very intentional story. So while there's gore and ghosts and monsters and things that go bump in the night and even a few jump scares, the villain of it is white supremacy. And no matter how many scary things you see, the things that white people do on that show in the name of white supremacists, white supremacy. It, those are the most terrifying things. So it's those small moments, like these small scenes where they interact with people in stores and and in what a lot of people are learning about in sundown towns and things like that, that I would argue are just as chilling as their encounters with monsters that shoot out of the ground. Uh, yeah, and, that, and that's one thing I loved about this show too is the way it explored racism in the South through this uh, through this lens of, uh, of a horror show. I mean, even uh, Emmett Till was a character in the show. It's a friend of, of one of the lead characters, and they go to his uh, memorial. Um, and it, it's like those elements are all there. Jeff, you, you probably know this best of all, um, because you, these, these are names you're more familiar with. I believe I saw in the last episode I watched that Jordan Peele is mentioned in the credits. Is he one of the creative 
participants, contributors? Yeah, I'm not sure if he's exec- just an executive producer or what his involvement was. Do you guys know? Executive producer. Yeah. yeah. Right, yeah. right. So, I mean, a lot, lot of just a lot of talented contributors on this. And uh, I think it, it, if we, to talk about this show, you have to mention, too, just the performances of uh, Jonathan Majors, but mostly Journey Smollett. I mean, I, she is just such a strong force at the center of this show. Absolutely. I hope this makes her into a bigger star. She was like, she's only been in a few things like uh, Birds of Prey, uh, the rather bad Harley Quinn movie, <laughs> but she was pretty good in that, kind of almost the second lead. Here, she just, I mean, she's just a ball of energy. She, th- she throws her all into this uh, role. And and I also just love the wardrobe they gave her. She just has all these great outfits. And just watching her run around in her dresses or her, uh, their period costumes was uh, amazing. So, yes. But I will say, like you said, not just the gore, but just kind of crazy. I mean, it's just <laughs> just what goes down oh, yeah. in the show is just kind of nuts. You're like, what the hell are they doing? But it's, it's all fun in the end. True. And they play with genres, which is really cool. So it's not straight horror all season. There's right. Minor spoiler, it gets to like a sci-fi period and Mm. you also get some kind of just investigative situation. So I'd like that they mix it up. Yeah, they have like a creature feature episode, a haunted house Mm -hmm. episode, uh, a body transforming uh, bit that's uh, (laughs) quite shocking, (laughs) but really another interesting way to uh, address the race issue. So good stuff. All right, me too. What do you got? So I will take us over to Gay Paris with Emily in Paris, where we will meet up with Emily Cooper, played by Lily Collins. She is a social media marketer in Chicago who relocated to Paris and has to navigate the new work and lifestyle culture, as well as a cute downstairs neighbor and a couple other potential love interests. Oh, yes, the cute downstairs neighbor. (laughs) If you're going to stay in France, you got to have one of those. I think it just comes with your apartment. <laughs> I, I also think it comes with Darren Star. Because <laughs> if you're going to have yes. Dar- Darren Star creating a show, you're going to have the, the cute neighbor, the uh, cute little dresses that she runs around Paris in. Um, I also liked how she was gaining more followers on her uh, Instagram whenever she posted something. I, I don't know how that how that works out in the end, but I was jealous of her because we're trying to grow our, our audience. So You just have to move to Paris, get a beret. <laughs> Have a little silk wrapped around your neck, which was often a motif of her fashion on the show. And then you'll have just as many followers as she does. I think she jumped from like a handful, maybe under 100 to over 20,000 within just a few episodes. So Kevin and I, of course, uh, came into early adulthood with Darren Starr's uh, Beverly Hills 90210 and Melrose Place. And then, of course, after that. He upped his game a bit with Sex in the City. The magic of a Darren Star show is that you have a lead character who inexplicably lives a much wealthier lifestyle than she can conceivably afford. And she has men falling all over her. She wears fantastic shoes. Even in Europe on cobblestone, she can still <laughs> rock a stiletto. And she has friends that she makes in in. Sex in the City, Sarah Jessica Parker goes to Paris, I believe, and discovers an entire fan group just around her column. And Emily in Paris, within a few episodes, she literally enters France's upper echelon, or at least Paris's fashion elite. There's a moment in the show where a dress is ruined or they need to have something replaced. And she's like, oh, I'll just call so-and-so. And And it was like the top designer in Paris. (laughs) So that's just the sort of delicious ridiculousness that you turn to for shows like this. You just eat it up. 
it's not necessarily good and like capital G good and critically whatever, but it's just so fun to watch. So suspend your disbelief. Don't 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 uh, tr- t- don't try to navigate this with questions like how could that be? It just is, right? You just have to you just have to go with the ride. And sometimes it is fun to ask those questions. Like there's definitely been moments where I've watched Emily in Paris and I just went, "How? How did she get here?" And then that's fun too because then you're just laughing in the middle of your home by yourself in a pandemic at how this woman has just become a wealthy French elite. Uh, after being an entry-level worker in Chicago. And I've been to Paris, and nothing like that's ever happened to me. So. <laughs> yeah, me neither. I think all of us, man. <laughs> Your Parisian dreams didn't come true? No, no, I was looking <laughs> no, for... No, I think I dined the, at Burger King. Uh, I wanted, Yeah, I wanted the top French designer to help me out with my wardrobe, and it just didn't happen. All right, let's do a few more before we get to a teacher. Um, I just wanted to mention a couple of shows in their fourth seasons, Fargo on FX, which is basically more of an anthology series, different cast of characters, different story each time. This fourth season takes place in 1950s Kansas City between two mobs, one a black family and one an Italian family. And it's not getting as, it's getting some kind of negative buzz as not being as watchable as the first three seasons, but I think it's, it's different for sure, but equally great again. Just a beautiful show. Great references to Joel and Ethan Cohen movies, whether it's Fargo or Raising Arizona or anything. But also just a great performance by Ben Wishaw, who plays a Irishman who is uh, aligned with the Italian family. Um, there's a black and white episode. It's probably episode six or seven. And it's just a fantastically beautiful episode. I recommend Fargo. And then also The Crown on Netflix, which is in its season four. Now we're getting into the 80s with Princess Diana. And I think we've, we've watched this insular family that no, I mean, you know, all the, all the dialogue that's made up in the show because no one knows what they talk about uh, inside the palace. So they have to make up a lot of stuff. But we see this family that no one really accesses. And then now we see Diana, who was, although from a rich family, more of a regular citizen, enter this world and uh, more or less be accosted by this family who uh, they mean well, but they don't come off well at all because they're kind of clueless on basically how to deal with people. So watching the Charles and Diana drama is the delight of this season. And also Gillian Anderson plays Margaret Thatcher beautifully, uh, excellently. So uh, that's also a joy to watch. So that's good. I'd recommend you're wrong about podcast, not to talk about another podcast on a podcast, which I'm guilty of all the time when all BJ time. and I are reviewing shows. I love podcasts. You're wrong about is a podcast that covers big historical moments and figures and how we may have misremembered those moments or adding mm. more context. So mm. they did a really great series on um, OJ Simpson, on Monica Lewinsky, and on smaller stories like the history behind the phrase going postal or the history behind the person who burned themselves at the McDonald's cup and needing the warnings. So Mm. it's just a really cool show. And they did like a five episode series on princess Diana. That was fascinating. And Mm. I learned so much largely because I, I don't really pay attention to the Royal family. So I think I was probably more ignorant than most, but it was just really, really interesting. Wow, that sounds interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's some of the stuff that I've been reading too. I like when I I see the episodes, I'll look up 
I'll, I'll Google, did Diana really blank? You know, <laughs> you know, and it'll tell you the real story behind what they put into the crown. And, and this, this season actually is causing more controversy in the UK than the previous mm. three seasons put together because of all of the portrayals. Plus several people that are in the series now are still alive and, and can see themselves portrayed uh, wrongly, they claim. And uh, it's, it's, so it's interesting to watch and kind of follow along on the internet as well. So. Me too. What's the name one more time of that podcast? You're wrong about. You're wrong about. Okay. And they don't include anything unless they've read it or can verify it in some super concrete way. So it's nice that it's not as much fluff. It's just like, these are the things that happened and they're super fascinating just because they happened. Right, so it's not, okay, this is what it says on Wikipedia. We're actually going out and doing some sourcing. And, you know. <laughs> yeah, Jeff, you can cut this because now it's a commercial for another podcast. But <laughs> oh, no, I won't. No, like... it's fine. Uh, it's fine. It's not a, they're not a competitor, it doesn't sound like. <laughs> yeah. Kevin, you just had a great idea. We should do a uh, podcast called This is What Wikipedia Says. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wikipedia, the audio book. <laughs> <laughs> Cliff Notes by Jeff and Kevin. There we go. All right, so let's move on to our uh, final show, which uh, we're, we're kind of featuring. It's uh, called A Teacher, and it's on Hulu and kind of a, a little bit of an annoying setup for viewers. It's called FX on Hulu. So FX produces the show, but then it's only aired on Hulu. So if you watch shows like me, like Fargo, you see a million promos for a teacher, but you can only watch it if you have a subscription. And as listeners, uh, astute listeners will note, I now have a free Hulu setup, <laughs> as I mentioned earlier. <laughs> so I got to watch it, and my wife and I binged the first four episodes <laughs> as soon as we got it, even though this show is one of the more uncomfortable shows I've ever seen. It's from writer-director Hannah Fidel, who made a film by the same name in 2013, and Kate Mara plays Claire, and she's a new teacher at an Austin high school, and she begins tutoring one of her students, who's also the hunky senior soccer captain. She begins tutoring him for the SATs, and sure enough, a forbidden romance ensues. And we know from the promos this is not going to end well. It's interesting because I think the, the show kind of pulls a little bit of a trick on you for a couple reasons. One is the actor playing the student, a supposedly 17-year-old student named Eric, is played by a 25-year-old, Nick Robinson, who does not look 17. And so when you watch these love scenes between the teacher and student, it's not necessarily as creepy as it's supposed to be. And they also play the romance kind of to the point where you're rooting for this couple. You you want to see a romance succeed, but you just forget that you are kind of watching a predator. So Jeff, when you, when this show was proposed and I read to you know for us to talk about it, and I read the premise of it, I immediately thought, okay, that's just not something I'm probably going to uh, carve out time for, but I will say I, I, I came away appreciating what they were trying to, what they were trying to accomplish. I don't think it was just done for the sake of quote unquote entertainment. In fact, it should be mentioned. There are some, um, some disclaimers, I guess, or warnings that are, that, that are provided. The disclaimer says something to the effect of, if you know someone who's struggling, here's a website or a phone number. And so what I think they're, I came away appreciating that, that they were looking at the seriousness of the subject, not just using it as this compelling or kind of sleazy topic that would draw in an audience. So recognizing that, it was a little easier to stay with it. I think you used the right word, Jeff. Predator, uh, Harris character really uh, has some real issues. And we see those, th- those play out in an early shoplifting moment for her and just 
how she's setting the stage for all of these things and, and how she's using manipulation in this relationship. Um, at the same time, there are little moments where she's kind of a sympathetic character. So there's a, there's a complexity to this. I think that complexity really hit on something where I think the creators of this show, like you said, they made that resource, which is like a-teacher-resources.com to learn more about grooming and if someone else is experiencing that. But they know that this is so realistic that it will make you uncomfortable, which speaks to the acting and the writing, but also you feel something. And I think when a show can make you feel something, that's when you know that they're onto something. Maybe you don't want to feel that way that it's making you feel because <laughs> right, a lot of times right. you want to tell Claire to just stop and just go away, leave Eric alone. <laughs> right. Yes, you're. I'm like cringing in my chair going, no, don't do it, don't, oh, don't do it. You just want to jump in and save him. Yeah, I don't think I ever felt... With, with full disclosure, I only watched the pilot episode, so I don't think I had an opportunity to feel any sympathy for her. I just mm. felt anxious. It's like, please don't go near him. And when BJ and I were recording our review, he was, of course, making fun of me as he does, that like truly I was stressed the entire time we were watching together. My, I was like getting hot under the collar. It was like, oh, mm. I don't know what's happening. And um, when they, there's these small moments that they use in the show so well, because the point of the show, I think, is to stress you out and to make you uncomfortable. And there was this little moment where she just edges a little closer to him while they're sitting next to each other at the counter of this restaurant while she mm -hmm. is supposedly helping him with his SATs, AKA finding a vulnerable moment and getting in there. And she just edges a little bit closer as they're looking at that book. And I was like, Oh, this is it. I was like, Oh no, <laughs> yes. we're, we're off the cliff and now we're just going down. I had some of the same same reaction, me too. I think there was a point earlier in the episode where she gets a friend request, maybe on Facebook from him, or you know, she's she's alone in her uh. house because her husband's not, he's on a business trip or something. She's looking at her phone, and he pops up as a maybe a request or a recommendation. And there's that, as an audience member, you're going, you know better than this, right? And yes. and yet. They're, that they've hooked you because you're responding in that way. And then you watch her do it, and you're just like, oh, my God. Yeah, the uncomfortable moments do not cease. It passed the first episode. They keep going. <laughs> I'm going to play a, a clip from um, episode five. This is uh, at the end of a weekend. She, she actually gets an Airbnb for them to spend the weekend together. So this is their conversation uh, near the end of that weekend. Hey, you okay? <sighs> yeah. Yeah, I'm fine. Come on, why are you giving me the silent treatment? It's our last night together. Exactly. It's our last night together. Then tomorrow, you're gonna go back to him, and this will have never happened. Yeah. I mean, this isn't real. Of course it is. Is that why you're talking about who I'm gonna fuck when I get to college? Like, what is this to you? Is this just some bored housewife shit? You know that's not true. You're not gonna want me when you go to college. You're gonna be done with me. Fuck, I'm risking my entire life to be with you. I wish I could just stay here with you, but I, I can't. And I fucking feel like a terrible person. 
Hey. No. Hey, 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 I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So we can hear there, like, the, the switch when, I mean, he's obviously in a vulnerable moment and where she turns it around by bringing on the tears and manipulating him and make, making herself out to be the vulnerable one. And that's what the show is full of, those moments. And it's, I, I think that, like you said, it's, it's supposed to make you uncomfortable. And I think it would be exploitive if this kind of thing didn't happen and we hear it in the news when this kind of thing happens. Um, and we hear it in the news a lot when it's a, a, a female teacher and a male student. And I think the whole dynamic of the show and everything would be different if it was uh, a male teacher and a female student. But I, I think that scene captures something you see in every episode, just a moment where she makes a bad decision. And even if she is not consciously deciding to be predator or be mean that's exactly what she's doing and i think you really see that unconscious behavior and those choices she's making when she says she can't stay with him when she just won't stay there she is an adult she could choose to really go all out for this but she's still putting these subconscious limits on herself so the kind of manipulation is also just unfortunately instinctual for her Mm. Mm mm-hmm I would say that while this is a difficult show to watch, it the structure of it I think is ultimately helpful in telling this story so it isn't exploitive, to your point, Jeff. So there is a ton of time jumps. So we see her grooming him, we see her abusing him, and then we see the aftermath of those actions. And I like the idea of seeing her face consequences of continuing to have that complicated story, but with the ultimate understanding of her being the bad actor, the predator in this, in this story. And it makes me think of not to date myself, but the first, one of the first big news stories I remember is Mary Kay Letourneau. And I remember when she did some 2020 interview or something, or I just, I remember bits and pieces of it, but there were like tons of people interviewed who were rooting for their quote unquote love story, her and this 12 year old child. And I like the idea of a show being like, no, don't do that. This is not a love story. This is bad. She is bad. What she did is bad. So I do like that. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's uh, brilliantly done in that sense. And is that uh, there's times where you almost do root for them and but then every turn you're just like no don't do that don't don't say it don't do it and and i wanted to to feature this show uh at the end of all the other shows we talk about because it uh, it's one of the best shows of this year i've seen and that surprises me a bit because i saw the promos for it and i go gosh i don't know if i want to watch something like that and then when hulu fell on my lap i'm like okay i guess i will then and yeah, I just—I don't think I've had an experience where I've, I'm compelled to watch the next show, even though I'll be uncomfortably cringing through it. So, hmm. so you're uncomfortably compelled. <laughs> yes, uncomfortably <laughs> compelled. And I don't know—I like, don't know if I can remember a show like that before. <laughs> yeah, is it, is it the whole? I can't. I have something's happened. There's a car wreck on the side of the road, and I have to slow yeah, down. Yeah, yeah. Don't look. Don't yeah. look. Don't look. Don't look. Don't look. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's an achievement in and of itself, I guess, in that they they are taking 
this difficult topic and and continuing to intrigue, I guess. Yes, or, and I, I'm impressed. I'm impressed with what seems to be the creator, the director, creator Hannah Fidel's uh, motives here is to to expose something that really happens in in the real world and try to give you the perspective of everyone involved. Not just society's shunning of such a thing, but also what the characters inside of it feel and felt during it. So, definitely a good pick. A teacher on Hulu, on FX on Hulu. Well, guys, that's a great roundup of shows. Thanks very much for coming on. But do you want to stick around and uh, do a little crack that track with TV theme songs? Yeah, yes. sounds fun. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin has yet to be defeated, so uh, I hope you guys are up to the challenge. We'll, we'll try, we'll our, try best. our best. Okay, good. Let's do it. <laughs> this time we're going to do a version of our patented Crack That Track, but with TV show theme songs. Now, Kevin, we last time we did this, uh, we did only 70s shows, but this time I've picked some from 1975 to 2010. Oh, wow. Oh. Okay. Okay. So uh, our lovely guests today are a couple decades younger than us, so I thought I would uh, spread the love. <laughs> so yes. to give everyone a chance, and I did do random number generation to select which shows from each year. I, I selected the year first, and then I selected uh, from the top 30 rated shows of each year. However, mm. I did reject some in thinking that no one would get some of these. And also to give us all a chance, given the generational differences, to see if uh, we can do it or not. So are you guys ready? We are ready. Okay, so sure. this is uh, very unorganized. You just have to shout out if you know it or not. Okay. okay. <laughs> so whoever shouts it first is the winner. Are you ready? All right. All right. All right. Here we go. Murder, She Wrote. <laughs> oh. See? I'm telling you. I've been binging it. I predicted before we started that Me Too was going to kick ass on this, and I think it's happening right, right before our eyes. It's a very timely tweet. Yeah. I... I I recently started binging Murder She Wrote in the last okay. three months. Wow, you are you are a dedicated fan of television. <laughs> okay, yes. so BJ and I already feel at a, a, a significant disadvantage. Uh, she's thrown down the gauntlet. She's thrown down the gauntlet. Yeah, I mean this is randomly generated once again, so it's it's like you know you never know. Okay, here's the next one. Are you ready, everyone? Bring it on. Okay. Golden Girls. No. <laughs> no. I love it. <laughs> Can we have a hint about the show? Sure. Uh, the hint is uh, Candace Bergen. Oh, Murphy Brown. Oh, Murphy Brown. Yeah. Okay. See, I get a half a point for that. <laughs> <laughs> you did say it a little earlier, but no, no one got it with the song. I like how my Golden Girls guess was promptly rejected and dismissed <laughs> by me too. That's good. Because if, if we were to do picks of best theme songs of all time, Golden Girls is up there. Yeah. It's so classic. Thank you for being a friend. Uh, that's true. That's true. 
Yeah, I've sing us a few bars. Me too. Bj <laughs> <laughs> makes fun of me because I sing it all the time. No, I'm not going to sing it here today. Thank you. <laughs> that, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, you're referring to the song by Andrew Gold, I believe, was from the 1970s. Oh, that's wow. how obscure. See, that's how obscure this this brain works. But you're gonna you're gonna crush me on the place. <laughs> no, I don't think so. All right, ready for the next one? Yep. Yes. yes. Oh, Survivor. Ah, okay. Yes. Oh. I've never watched And Survivor. I don't watch that show either. Okay, so yeah. we got... Uh, so you guys don't watch Survivor, or you haven't seen Survivor. No, Kevin doesn't. And I'm not in a long time. I mean, I watched the first two seasons like they were, like it was crack, but then after that, I, just, <laughs> I don't care. I don't care anymore. Okay, so what do we have? Me Too 2, Kevin 1? Or Me Too no, 1? Kevin, Kevin one. 1 and a half. Okay. No, the hint, the Cannesbergen hint doesn't work. So one to one, I would say. All right, all right, all right, all right. Can you see me walking down the street? It's time for you to pull your weight. Oh, that show. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, I can give you the lead actress of this as a clue. Uh huh. Rhett Butler. Brett Butler. <laughs> wow. Was, C- was it comedy on CBS? I wouldn't have gotten it either. It's Grace Under Fire. Oh, yeah. No, oh, no. Yeah, okay. it was like the companion, uh, kind of a spinoff from Roseanne, I think. She was on yes. Roseanne Show's first, or at least it was okay. on the same lot, I remember. They, were, mm-hmm. they, sh- they did it on the same lot. That was one I thought no one would get, so. We're really struggling here. <laughs> well, Some more than others. Or you could say it's a very tight race, one to one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, here's the next one. Thank you, for Golden Girls. <laughs> <laughs> she kept talking about Golden Girls. I'm like, oh man, that's on the list. Let's see how. <laughs> oh really? Okay. I was gonna say. I was gonna say, Jeff. It sounds like you. Uh, you decided to change this. Change the stakes a little bit. I would never do that. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Okay. All right. Here's the next one. Sci-fi show. That's the that's the whole thing. What are some sci-fi shows? X Files, Stargate, ba- Battlestar Twin Galactica. Peaks? No, I mean this is one of those like modern shows. It doesn't really have an opening theme. It just had an opening credit. Oh, it's uh, is it uh, one of those uh, like Criminal Minds or from the early two thousands and Fringe and and the, uh, the the title would start like over a black screen out here and it came Heroes like this and then it went kind of past you and that and that's the whole open. Huh. Lost. It was lost. Oh, okay. Well, that's how I felt there. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. The the aptly titled Lost. Okay, good. Good. All right. Here's the next one. Oh, gee. That would be tough. I think it's tough. Wow. You got it. You got it. (laughs) All right. So we're three to one. I know. I think I think it's because Kevin has things to say about yeah, the Kevin comments, <laughs> <laughs> which is our ongoing issue with the show. It takes him forever to get to the title of something. Yeah, it's, you know, it's like, could you throw? Some, yeah, right. Come on, push me. Okay. All right. No, no, me too. That was all. I, that, I, and again, as I predicted, she's getting these in fractions of a second. So. <laughs> That's not true. All right. Here is the last one. 
Magnum PI. Oh, yes, I know this. Dallas. Ah, Dallas, exactly. From the 70s. That's the only one that came up from the 70s. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I knew something was in there. Okay, that means uh, we got three to two, I think, right? Yeah, no, that means that if you'd stopped at 1980, I would have had a chance. But... <laughs> <laughs> That's why we expended it. Well done, me too. I'm removing the crown. I'm placing oh, it. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and I will say that uh, Kevin got, there was only two from 2000, post-2000. Um, Kevin got one of them, Survivor, and none of you got the second one lost. So you, I think I don't know. I think random gen number generation might be our downfall here, just because it <laughs> takes us to too many obscure places. We may have to narrow it to like. Well, those last two, those last two, I actually just chose by looking at the charts. So. Oh, so you just admitted that you tilted at scales? And, yes, and I threw in Golden no, Girls. I to basically no, screw not, me on this thing. And no, the last, <laughs> the last two meaning the last two in time, Survivor and Lost. Okay. So I was trying to give uh, BJ and Me Too an advantage since those are more recent shows. But uh, you got one, and no one got the other. <laughs> you see what I, you see what I'm dealing with here. <laughs> well, she said she's uh, you're binging murder. She wrote, so it's like, uh, I mean, yeah, that's pretty. That's cool. real. That's kind of interesting, actually. So, did you watch that when you were younger, like when you were a kid? No, it just I really love the Hallmark movies and Mysteries Channel, yeah. and mm. it comes on that channel sometimes. And I was like, what if I just watch this from the beginning? And it's all on Peacock, and so I've just been mm. watching it, and it's been a delight. Jessica Fletcher, you can't get anything past her. She will figure it out. She will catch you. She's not scared of you. People have pulled many weapons on her. She's gone toe-to-toe -to -toe with the KGB in like four or five episodes now. She's been to Washington. She was appointed a congresswoman in the second or third episode. She could do anything. Yeah, I love it. I, I love it. You know, we probably shouldn't let this go without at least off the top of your head giving us your pick for your favorite TV shows of all time. Of all time. Yeah, just give me your what just or throw out throw out some 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 ones that just are your favorites. All time that I could always watch over and over is Sliders, but only seasons 1 through 3. Okay. I would say I don't know if I could rank shows, but I think one that I come back to often is Living Single. It is the perfect show. Queen Latifah was the perfect lead. It's beautifully cast. Friends, as we all know, was a ripoff of that show. And it's just a perfect television program. And the especially before the last season that was cut short because of some drama behind the scenes between the cast wanting to just get better treatment and better pay and everything. But the first few seasons before that last one are just so funny, so full of heart. And it's just a great sitcom, and it doesn't feel dated. Is that something you could watch today on available platforms? It's on Hulu. It is on Hulu. Okay, I did I actually did that about Friends. Either that it was that that Friends was a bit off of that show. Um, the head of CBS was like, "I want that, but more marketable." Um, mm. Put a billboard of the Friends cast in front of the Living Single cast, and so Erica Alexander talked about who play, she plays Maxine Law, Maxine Shaw, attorney at law on the show. And she drives, she said she was driving to set and she saw the friends billboard just truly placed right in front of the living single billboard. And she said that that was like the writings on the wall. She knew that mm. their time was limited and that this had 
this is coming to usurp them. Wow. Cool story. Yeah, it's, it's a, just a really, really, really funny show. Um, and I'm also watching Sister Sister on Netflix, and that also holds up really well. Okay, guys. Hey, thanks for joining us on the show and for uh, playing our uh, little game and for being the first uh, person to defeat Kevin in Crack the Track. <laughs> he's playing yep. it off now, but I think he's going to have a breakdown later. We'll put the Starbucks gift card in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's empty. Uh, there's no money on it, but uh, reflecting our budget. Yes, it's the unofficial that counts. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Nice piece yep. of plastic. Well, well played. <laughs> and we hope to have you on again. Thanks for joining us on the show, guys. Thanks so much. This has been fun. Thank yep. you for having us. And again, it's the pilot podcast. Uh, the best place to go to find it. Uh, you have a website too. Yes, just go to thepilotpodcast.com. The Pilot Podcast, and it's kind of like the Pick Podcast is our is our URL. It's all easy to remember, and also Instagram and everything too. Yes, you can find us on Instagram and on Twitter at The Pilot Pod. Excellent. Well, thanks a lot for joining us, and we hope to have you back sometime. Awesome. Thanks. Take care. Thank you. Thanks, guys. All right, Kevin, good show. We got some help from a very knowledgeable couple of people. We got to stay in touch with them. Yeah, I love the insights, love the chemistry between those two, and they really completely nail their mission with that podcast, which is to give you some depth in terms of understanding what you might be in for with a show when they give you a pilot review. Absolutely. It's called The Pilot Podcast. You can check it out on iTunes or Spotify or, as they say, wherever you get your podcasts. Also want to put out an appeal to everyone. You can email us at thepickcast.com at gmail.com that's thepickcast at gmail.com anytime you'd like to give a suggestion criticize Kevin or <laughs> tell us what your favorite albums are or whatever anything you'd like to do we'd love to hear from you um, also you can follow us on Facebook at the pickcast also on Instagram at the pickcast and Twitter at the pickcast thanks for listening to this episode of the pick we'll be back next time with the pick 100 continuing countdown Music for the Pick by Audio Nautics. Until next time, I'm Jeff Payne. I'm Kevin Toon. Thanks for listening, everybody. Mm-hmm.